but thank you again very, very much. Would you be so kind as to find your place in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 22? Matthew chapter number 22. <clears throat> We're going to, uh, my key verse, the verses, is actually uh, really at the end, but I want to take in... Uh, we're going to start there, and I hope you have your Bible kind of well-oiled this morning, because we're going to turn a couple times in Scripture. We'll turn from Matthew to Luke, and, uh, and then kind of stay there until the end of the message. But in Matthew chapter 22, a well-known passage of Scripture that, um, that we see, and if you look all the way down uh, in verse number 34... It's the great commandment that's found in Scripture. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's have a word of prayer together and then we'll jump into this message. Lord God, thank you for being such a good God to us. Thank you that we have the privilege in this life and in this place to assemble together, to pray, to worship, to sing, to give you, Lord God, honor and glory. Thank you for that. Thank you for the freedom that we have to do this. I pray we would never take that lightly nor take it for granted. Lord God, there are folks here that want to hear from you this morning and they've had a tough week and they need some encouragement. So would you please use the message this morning to just shout some encouragement into their hearts. Pray also, Father, that you would give each individual what they desperately need. If it's encouragement, if it's instruction, Whatever it is, dear God, we ask that you administer the, to those hearts. And Father, I pray that when we leave here, we can say, it's been good to be in God's house today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 22 is a, and these last two verses, I, I like things that sum things up. I love the book of Proverbs because you can get a lot of wisdom in just a little statement. You know, uh, there's a... Uh, just that incredible thing there. And here, in this passage of Scripture, where he says, when this lawyer, tempting him, asks him a question, so what's the great uh, commandment in Scripture? And he replies by saying, well, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he backs it up by saying, on these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. Now, to you and I, as Gentiles, that may not sound, you know, incredibly impressive, but think, in the mind of the Jewish, uh, Jewish worshiper, 612 commands are what is being, is being referenced there. 612 commands summed up in just two statements, and we could just abbreviate that, love God and love people. What, uh, uh, if you want to have a nice, simple theology, that is, uh, that is, uh, that's more than enough to live, I assure you. Love God and love people. In putting this into context, you have to understand something. And I, I like to do this because it kind of puts us into the right frame. It's like, okay, when this was being said, what's happening in the background? 
So turn with me, it just, Matthew chapter 22, but let's just back up just a little bit. We're staying in Matthew 22. <clears throat> and in the previous chapter, the very, in chapter 21, the last couple of verses, it says, in verse 45, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Now, please put that into context. Jesus is taking and using these parables to take and to tell the Pharisees and the religious crowd <clears throat> to put it in the parlance of my southernism, and that is, you ain't right, okay? You guys are just not right, <clears throat> and there's a lot of reasons why you're not right, and he kind of sums it up. So he uses, if you will, he takes and he, he says, the first part, he gives this um, in chapter number 22, he gives this uh, parable about the wedding feast. And that first parable, he says, hey, there was a king. He made, the, he made this wedding feast. He called all these people to come. They didn't want to come. And then so he said, he sent his servants go out everywhere, highways, hedges, etc., and compel people to come in. So that's exactly what took place. But there was one fellow that came to the wedding feast, and he did not wear a wedding garment, which in their culture, that was the expected. The person who hosted the feast would provide a particular garment for everybody to wear. And what Jesus is getting at is this. There are those, they say they know the father, they say the king, if you will, but they want to try to get into heaven their own way, by their own righteousness. And trust me, that message was not lost on the Pharisees and on that religious crowd. He once again took and gave them a one-two punch, if you will. So they're now being a little bit humbled uh, or frustrated. So now they decide they're going to take and have another tactic. And if you jump down just a little bit further in verse number 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Okay, pause just for a second. See, so well, what does that mean? The Herodians were a political group, all right? The Pharisees were this far to the right religious group. They didn't like each other, but they had one common goal, and that was to try to destroy this individual, this guy named Jesus, who was getting quite a crowd and quite the attention. So then they ask him the question, and it has to do with, uh, we know Jesus, uh, you know, you don't care for anybody, and uh, uh, so do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And hopefully they were looking for the answer to say no, so that they could go run back to Caesar and say, hey, this guy's guilty of treason. The Pharisees would totally enjoy that because mission accomplished, we'll get rid of this guy. But that's not how Jesus answered that famous verse. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Man, they're astounded. It's like, we can't get ahead of this guy. <clears throat> He's just always one up on us, it seems like. So, <clears throat> knowing that they were kind of shut down, along came this other uh, religious group referred to as the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't really get along. And one of the reasons is this. The Sadducees had a very pet doctrine teaching. They said, there's no such thing as a resurrection. We don't believe in that. Well, with that being said, and if you look down verse 23, the same day Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. 
Okay? They give this scenario because in their logical mind, this resurrection cannot happen because people taken, you know, they're still married when they get to heaven, etc. Now, remember, these are people who studied the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, constantly. They were not novices to what the word of God had to say. So Jesus, he just did what he's so good at. He just told them truthfully. Notice in verse number 29, but Jesus answered and answered them and said, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of heaven as the resurrection uh, and as the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what was said to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his doctrine. <clears throat> Once again, shut him down. I mean, Jesus took and, you know, after this little thing, he dropped the mic and there it was. You know, everybody's speechless. So we can't get a hold of this. We can't, can't get ahead of this guy. And so the Pharisees, one last time, they get a lawyer. Don't you just love that? They always got to get lawyers. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. So they get this lawyer, he asked them the question, Jesus answered him, exactly right. Listen, in context, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, uh, it was in, uh, you know, they had these questions in reference to the law, and Jesus answered it with a just a brief little statement, and he sums up an awful lot that you and I need to take and embrace and uh, whatever your particular theology is this morning, let me help you with something. You can simplify your life by taking and having two big rules in your life. Love God and love people. I can tell you this, just by almost 40 years of being in the ministry, people really don't care what you believe. They care about what you live. And they want to know that they have value and that you value them. And when you take and extend your life and stretch it to where you can be a blessing to them, guess what? You've earned the right to be heard. Amen, Brother Mike. That's good preaching right there. <clears throat> I'm simply saying this. Love God and love people. Now, in order to do that, uh, how are we going to take and, and love God? Well, when we love God by keeping his commandments, we're going to do this. Understand this. David said this in the Old Testament. He said, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Again, David made this statement in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Understand this, when Jesus said to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, your strength, he's saying this, loving God, it refers to the whole person. Being so completely and totally, without any reservation, devoted to God. Listen, somebody might even say, you're guilty of having a love affair with the divine. What a great thing to be guilty of, to be quite honest about it. So, a couple of points here. Let's take and jump into the message. If you're going to love God... With all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength or mind, two big things. Listen, it's going to be demonstrated by your obedience to his commandments. In John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 23, again, he says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. 
First John chapter 5, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this, is the command, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Again, 2 John verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. Then last of all, Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do your will, O Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Listen, <clears throat> you cannot, you can put on a nice face for everybody and do all that and show up on Sunday morning and we can glad hand everybody, <clears throat> but it's what happens on Monday. Are you keeping his commandments? Are you taking and walking in them? And let me help you. You're responsible for the light that you have, not the light you don't have. So if God shows something, you read his word and, and God helps you with something to learn something and to be instructed in something, you act upon it. Amen. Listen, if we love God, we're going to keep his commandments. Number two, <clears throat> or also, if you're going to love God uh, and you're going to show that, it's going to be revealed by your service. So look with me. I want you to turn now to the book of Luke. The gospel according to Luke, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, there's this beautiful picture of what it means to take into, of, as far as our service to God. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, there's this wonderful story, verse number 36, started, uh, in chapter 7, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the, Pharisees had, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here's the point I'm trying to make. There's lots of applications, but here's the biggie. Listen, if you're going to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, <clears throat> serve him. Find a place to serve. 
It may not be something out in front of everybody. Maybe God hasn't called you to, you know, to be a teacher or a preacher or something like that. But there is some area where you can serve him. You can be active doing something. I'm just saying, if you love him, serve him. And two big things you could take away from this little, uh, this beautiful illustration that's given here. And the first is this. If you're going to take and love God, understand this. People will criticize you when your worship seems extravagant. People will criticize you for it. When you take and go full-blown for God, there's always going to be somebody who's going to point a finger, and they're going to make a comment, and they're going to be negative in reference to all that. But the second thing is kind of close to the first. But understand something. God's going to take notice of it. And isn't that who you're really serving anyway? What does it matter? At the end of my life, none of you will be my judge. Here's not one of you. It's when I stand before him, I really want to hear him say, well done. My goodness. I'm about to get in touch with my feminine side right now, honestly. To hear him say, well done. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. Listen, if you're going to love God, keep his commandments and serve him. Pretty simple, isn't it? It preaches real easy. It's hard to do, but God wants us to take it. But that's what the Bible tells us to do. Number two, moving along here. Jesus took and summed up this, these, all the commands in two simple statements. He said, really, to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. And he said, and the second is like unto it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. We're still in the, in the gospel according to Luke, so turn over just a couple pages to chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse number 25. Loving your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> nice tongue twister there. In verse number 25 of Luke chapter 10, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come, when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now there's a couple of big points here you need to understand. And the first is this. You don't need to have a title in order to take and to live this. 
passage of scripture. You don't need to be called pastor. You don't need to be called teacher. You don't need to be called priest or Levi. A title is not required for you to take and to love people uh, like yourself. The other interesting thing is when Jesus gave this illustration, he, he highlighted an individual, the individual who was the outstanding example is a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were the ones who were hated by the Jews. Samaritans, according to the Jews, they were neither, they were half Jew, half Gentile. The Jews didn't like them. The Gentiles didn't think much of them. And so they were in this in-between state when it came social, on the social strata. And nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus used him to, as an example, and to give you some idea how even the Jews, how they took and didn't like him, when Jesus said, which of these three, he wouldn't say the Samaritan. He said, well, the one who took and showed mercy to the God. Do you understand? Listen, Jesus is, uh, he looked at all people. It doesn't matter what color, what nationality, what race. It, it wasn't about that. It was about taking and just being merciful and kind. But he asked the right question. So who is my neighbor? And it really boils down to this. Anybody you can show mercy and kindness to. When I was in uh, Bible college, I worked for Sears. We, school was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And at the north side of Jacksonville, there's a huge Sears distribution center. It's a massive building. covers three and a half acres of floor space. And uh, there was lots of trucks, probably 80 bays where trucks would come. And yours truly was one of those guys who loaded trucks. And the way it worked is there was this big conveyor belt. And this conveyor belt would, uh, however it sorted things, things would come down this conveyor belt. And you had to sort it. And then when it was sorted, you put it in your truck. They had these cages uh, that were heavy, um, made out of heavy aluminum, and you put these things inside there, and it'd be marked on what store all those particular things were going to for distribution. Well, two guys had to take and work the same belt because you had two different, um, two different uh, trucks to take and to fill. And so what it was supposed to be, it didn't matter what came down the line, you just had to take and put it into its, protect in its respective bin. Now, for whatever reason, Sears thought that I was smarter than I really was, okay? They had, on my door, I had 14 stores that I had to take and get things for and load up into that truck. And it was kind of a Rubik's Cube of schedule on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's these stores. But on Friday, not this one. And then on Monday, Wednesday, it's these stores, but not this one. And then only on Monday and Thursday, it's, I mean, I had like all this craziness, right? My neighbor, the guy I worked with, he had three. And it was the same every day. I mean, it was just incredibly boring for him, you know. Well, I had my devotions this particular morning, and it had to do with, you know, loving your neighbor and, and all that, and that was just kind of musing in my head, and I'm at work, and we would get a 15-minute scheduled break time, and I'm walking, and God is just, you know, kind of speaking to my heart about loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, and I was like, and I remember as clear as it is this moment, I said, dear God, I love all of my neighbors. I can't think of anybody. And then I see that guy I'm supposed to work with. I said, except him, okay? 
And I've got good reasons not to like them, all right? And I'm sure you understand, you know, and I'm justified. I mean, it's just the way it is. <clears throat> Number one, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to like. You know what I'm saying? He had a bad mouth. He was lazy. He just, you know, it was one of those kind of things. Not a lot to like there from my perspective. But God began working in my heart. And here's what would also happen. Other reason why I uh, struggled with this fellow was that he didn't do anything. When things came down, uh, uh, you know, down the line, I was the one taking a do it. And he's kind of, you know, hanging out like this over by the door, going like this, you know. Look, and then when the, he could see the boss coming because of our location, he'd see the boss coming. And then all of a sudden he'd hide in the truck for a minute or whatever. And it was like... If I could get a hold of you, I'm telling you, we'll do it. I'll show you the love of God. I guarantee you, buddy. So God began working in my heart about this guy. And I just decided, no matter how he treats me, I'm going to treat him different. I'm going to do it. doesn't matter. So I went out of my way to take and to load all of his stuff. And when I was done with it, I would take and bring it over to him. Now, he's not doing anything anyway. I said, hey, listen, your, your bin is full. I thought I'd bring this to you so you could load your truck. He was totally shocked the first time I did it. He's, oh, well, thank you. <clears throat> now, here's the interesting thing. Kindness has a way of just melting away all of that. And in the process of time, I discovered I had a great opportunity to take into witness to him later on. And I discovered more about him in reference to his life and how he was raised and, and different things. And I had opportunity to share Christ with him several times. And we had, honestly, a very amicable work relationship after that. But let me help you something, believer. It's up to you. You got to be the one who's proactive in that. You got to be the one to take the initiative. You got to be the one to take the first step to say, okay, it's my responsibility to show the love of God to this individual. C.S. Lewis said, the Christian does not think God will love us because we're good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. It wasn't me who initiated, or how could I say, I had to recognize God loves him just like God loves me. And God wants him to know him as well. And maybe I'm the vessel that God wants to take and use to do that. Number three, some closing, some closing thoughts. We're going to wrap this up here in chapter, uh, uh, just kind of putting all this together back in Matthew chapter 22. Let me give you three closing thoughts and we're going to take and uh, go from here. Number one, be concerned. The spirit behind your question is oftentimes more important than the question Notice those multiple times in scripture where people, they had these questions they wanted to take and ask Jesus, and he would just respond by saying, why do you tempt me? Why are you asking this? He understood their motive. And let me help you with something. Those of us, uh, if you know, we have a disagreement with something, uh, check your attitude, all right? Check your attitude. Sometimes the spirit of what you wanna say is far more important than even the question. And maybe that's what needs to be dealt with, if you, if you please. Number two, be cautious about your beliefs on non-important matters. <laughs> There's a good chance you're wrong. 
I remember, uh, and this is, now you have to understand, I went to college, you know, uh, back in the 80s. And in those days, there was a lot of, um, how could I say this? There was a lot of emphasis on standards and on don't do this, don't do that, dress like this, and, and all those things, okay? <clears throat> there was a lot of emphasis. There was a, a lot of emphasis at the school where I attended in those days. And I remember, uh, because of just, I couldn't come home for Christmas, and there was just a handful of us. We lived in the dorm, even through the Christmas break. And I remember getting this one fella who was in school. He was so adamant against Christmas trees. He said, see, they're in the Bible. And he said, Bibles, it talks against Christmas trees. And he had this goofiness, and he pulls out this passage of Scripture out of the Old Testament. And uh, I, I, when you studied it, it had to do with making an idol. Had nothing to do with a tree, but he just had this thing, you know, about him. Here's the point I'm trying to make. You might have your pet doctrine, that thing which is so important to you. Just be careful about all that. You might be wrong. Because if you get right down to it, if you study the Bible, <clears throat> there are only a handful of non-negotiables found in this book, doctrine-wise, there's a lot of other things that, you know, you could believe that, and you could believe that, and we can still fellowship. But there's some things, I'm just telling you, that uh, we better be on the same page about. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. For example, blood atonement. Blood atonement's in Scripture, man. I, there is no, that is not, that is a, a non-negotiable Somebody says, well, he didn't have to spill his blood in order for us to be saved. Well, I'm telling you, you're wrong if that's what you're thinking. <clears throat> Another one might be the virgin birth. Listen, that's a non-negotiable. It can't be something like, well, maybe she was a virgin or maybe she wasn't. No, I'm telling you, Scripture says she was a virgin, and that's a non-negotiable. We're not going to budge on that. And the reason if we do, all other teaching in reference to the person of Christ is questionable. If you were to take and, uh, you know, take and give in on uh, or uh, just compromise on that. Inspiration of Scripture. Let me help you with something. The inspiration of Scripture in its original manuscript, this is a non-negotiable. This book was divine. Absolutely, 100%. God took and breathed this into existence using, human, using humans to do so. Listen, salvation by grace through faith. There are no works involved. Let me help you with something. Salvation is only by faith or by grace through faith. It's nothing that you do, nothing that I do. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There is nothing you can do to impress God. And that's what your works are wanting to say. See, God, look how good I am. I give 10% or I've been baptized or I, you know, I, um, I don't cuss and I don't chew and I don't date girls that do. You know, whatever it happens to be, you know. I'm simply saying this. It, no, it's all of grace by faith in what he's accomplished for us. Then the second coming of Christ. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Now, you and I might disagree on when he's coming. There are those, I'm a pre-tribulation rapture guy, but I have friends who are mid-tribulation rapture. Okay, but we both believe this. Jesus is coming again. We might disagree on, on that area, but we can still have fellowship on the biggies. And what I'm saying is simply this. Be cautious about your beliefs on those things which are non-important. Because there's a good chance you're wrong. 
Amen. That was just so refreshing, isn't it? Amen. And then lastly, number three. Be careful about criticizing nonconformists. God may have sent them. Jesus was truly a nonconformist by the way of the entire religious crowd. He didn't fit in at all. What's interesting is this. When you look at history, just how God has used a pile of nonconformists to take and to make a, that God has placed his hand upon. Uh, one being King David when he fought Goliath. It was expected to go out and fight Goliath wearing the armor. But he said, no, I can't wear that. So here this kid goes out there, and of course we know the rest of the story. He refused to fight with the traditional armor and, and whomped the fire on a, out of Goliath. Amen. Another guy in history, Charles Spurgeon, he was criticized by the popular preachers of his day because he spoke from the pulpit as a commoner. What's interesting is church history reports him and gives him the title as the Prince of Preachers. He was a nonconformist, if you will. But then also history refers to other people like Martin Luther and John Wycliffe, William Carey, William Carey, who took and wanted to be the, who really was noted as being one of the first foreign missionaries. Interesting thing about Carey, he was, lived at a time, talk about a nonconformist, election and predestination was such a powerful doctrine that held people in their seat. Meaning this, they, they came to this fatalistic uh, mindset. If God's going to save them, he'll save them. He doesn't need me to do it. William Carey probably had the most balanced view of anybody. Is election in the Bible? Well, yeah, it is. If it's not, we better remove Romans 9, 10, 11, and all of Ephesians chapter 1. At the same time, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That also is in the Bible. So you know what? Just because I know this doctrine doesn't take and relinquish my responsibility to get the gospel out. So, church, guess what? We got some work to do, don't we? Love God. That's where it starts. Isn't it interesting? I was thinking about this this morning as I'm going over all this. When he says to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, did you ever realize he's not talking about initially an action? He's talking about an attitude. It's an attitude that we take and get right first, and then it will affect our actions. St. Augustine, we'll close with this. Augustine made this statement, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek him the great adventure, and to find him the great achievement. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we've done absolutely nothing, and we can do nothing to impress you, to take and to win your favor, to get more grace None of that. Lord, thank you for being such a good God to us. I pray that when we leave here, we would reflect that goodness. I pray, Father, we'd be a good testimony in the community to our neighbors. And Lord God, as you give opportunity for us to do good, may we not shrink from that. Help us to get out of our comfort zones. Sometimes it's going to cost us. And I pray, dear God, that... uh, As we do that, may people see Jesus as a result. In his name we ask it. Amen.